Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. The new theater of the mind. The Bruce Collins Show. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of The Bruce Collins Show. Well, inaugural may not be the right word. Perhaps we should say reboot. Because The Bruce Collins Show was on for about 11 years. Uh, Maybe a little bit more if you count the fact that we started under a different name. And uh, But more about that soon. Uh, I did want to say, if you happen to hear jingling in the background right now, uh, it is not Santa Claus. So please don't report that to your local news agencies. It is a little three-month-old cat named Bear that I rescued from the Humane Society. And uh, I had two cats. They were 17 years old this year, and both of them passed away within six months. So when I, my mother, who is 87 years old, lives with me, and it was rough to lose both of those cats. So we, I went to the Humane Society and picked up a new cat, a little black cat named Bear, Bear the Cat. I didn't try to rename him, although that's a strange kind of name to call a cat Bear, but it's kind of confusing. But fortunately, I'm old enough to distinguish between the two. So as I was saying before, if you don't know what this program is, what it has done, the people it has interviewed, and maybe even uh, arrogantly to say the impact that it made, um, years ago I was uh, I ran a pro wrestling website, and um, it garnered a little bit of popularity at the time. This would have been about 1996, 1997, I gather. And um, that led me to really come up with some contacts in the professional wrestling business or promoters that were just starting. And uh, there was a gentleman in Canada who had a wrestling promotion. And actually, he started doing a, a, this is ironic, he started doing a podcast back in the late 90s, which At the time, I wasn't even thinking that was something I would want to do ever. And from the podcast, he figured out in Canada how to become a professional wrestling promoter, um, which means in the independence, you also own the company. So he owned a company uh, called the Hardcore Wrestling Federation. And I didn't know that. We were – he was – advertising my website at the time and I was advertising his and my website sold some professional wrestling t-shirts and I was doing pretty good with that. I mean, I wasn't going to become a millionaire from wrestling t-shirts, but it was making a profit definitely. And uh, I would sell some of them on eBay too, which was also relatively young at the time. And I 
reached out to this person after not hearing from them for a few months, asking them how they were doing. And it turned out they had started a wrestling company. And to me, that sounded kind of interesting, which in retrospect, it probably wasn't too wise, but I seem to fall forward in life. And one thing leads to another, as you'll see, and how this is relevant to actually doing this podcast. So I, I found it interesting that he was doing a wrestling promotion and I decided to do one in Northern California and I was horrible at it. I lost money and, um, we, uh, one of one of our big events was in the San Jose Civic Auditorium. It was uh, called Halloween Horror '99, obviously in 1999, and it didn't draw a very big audience. But my biggest wrestler uh, that my main event draw was the Honky Tonk Man, who was popular from his days in the WWE. And he was known at the time as the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. And once I realized what a horrible decision that was to become a professional wrestler in uh, Northern California, anywhere really, um, I got out of it. I ran a company called Borman's Wrestling Planet from 1996 to 1999. And I realized that economically speaking, I was running out of funding. Uh, If I was to continue, I would go, you know, in the hole. And so I, I backed out of it. I was written in a local periodical called SF Weekly, San Francisco Weekly, in an article titled Smackdown, which talked about how these other promoters were kind of working against me when I did that. And um, the the good thing about that experience was I made a lot of um, friends or acquaintances through professional wrestling. And one of them was a gentleman by the name of Brett Wagner. And if you listen to, you used to listen to the Bruce Collins show, you would have known him as a guest several times. And the reason why he was a guest was I've known him since when I promoted professional wrestling. And he actually was one of the more honest wrestlers that I came across. And Brett Wagner started branching out into acting. He was the voice of Monster Garage on the Discovery Channel. He's done movies, not huge parts, but he's been in a lot of different movies and television shows. And uh, you may even recognize him if you ever see his picture. So he was doing a a nationally syndicated radio show called monster radio, which was um, in 84 AM radio markets. And I had written a book at that point on professional wrestling on my experience. And really what the book was, was not so much my experience with professional wrestling, but I took all of the things that I had failed at in professional wrestling and all of the things I knew and put them in a book to basically say, this is what you do. And this is what you don't do in professional wrestling to at least have a, an ability to be successful in this type of business, which personally, I I think that it's a type of business that is very difficult to make money in. In fact, the only money making wrestling promotion ever 
is the WWE. I speaking of AEW, which is another wrestling promotion on television that some of you may have heard of. I'm skeptical that they're actually making money. They have a an owner who has deep pockets and so it's really hard to tell if they're actually making money or not. So I had written a couple of books. One of them was called So You Want to Be a Wrestling Promoter with a a wrestler named Rick Drayson. And Rick Drayson also had a past. He was in the movie Pumping Iron with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He had been an actor too. And um, he was the middle Hulk in the Incredible Hulk television series. So when Bill Bixby turned into Lou Ferrigno, the guy in the middle was Rick Drayson. So he also was at my wrestling show in at the San Jose Civic. So I wrote a book with him called So You Want to Be a Wrestling Promoter. Brett Wagner asked me to come on his show, Monster Radio, to talk about that book. And I didn't want to be on that program and not make an impact. So I tried to be funny. And sometimes my humor bombs. Sometimes it, I think it hits its mark. Um, this time it was somewhere in the middle. And, but Brett Wagner saw enough of that or heard enough of that more accurately to say, why don't you come on, you know, in a couple weeks. And I thought about it and I thought, and this was partly based on my professional wrestling um, background. I thought, I don't want to just come on every couple of weeks and be a guest because how do you do that? How would I, what would be different about that if I just came on and the host said, how are you doing today? You know, what's new? Uh, What are you doing this week? How would that, how would we be able to sustain that as a, as a wrestling, as a guest, as a radio guest? So I I said, I don't want to do that. But what I will do since I wrote a book is I'll be your book reviewer and I'll go on and I'll talk about books and I'll, you know, basically give a critique of whether or not someone should buy the book or not. And, but really it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick to allow me to tell jokes And when the person is listening to me, they'll realize halfway through that I probably didn't even read the book. And most of my comments are just to elicit humor, elicit a a laugh or two. And so that's what I did. And I did that for a couple of years. I think that show lasted from about 2003 to 2005, if I'm not mistaken. And the interesting thing about that show was when Howard Stern went to Sirius XM, they divvied up his his um, radio uh, stations on, I think he was on FM or maybe he was on AM, I can't remember, but they divvied those up. David Lee Roth was the host on the East Coast. Adam Carolla was the host on the West Coast. The interesting thing about that was Adam Carolla guest hosted Monster Radio for Brett Wagner, and he... I believe I was on one of those broadcasts when he was the guest host and I gave a book review. Well, lo and behold, when Adam Carolla took over the West coast for Howard Stern's old spot, he had a book reviewer uh, who used books as a gimmick to tell jokes. I must've had a pretty good idea. 
So from there, I, um, after Monster Radio kind of wound down, um, I really wanted to explore doing a radio show. And I found a website, which is now defunct, called fantalklive.com, fantalklive.com. And ironically, and this was totally by accident, many of the uh, radio programs or really internet programs more accurately were on fan talk live were wrestling related. If anybody knows wrestling and they know who Vince Russo was, Vince Russo was on fan talk live at that time doing a radio show. And there were all, there were mostly wrestling radio shows, but there were about 10% of other shows that were, unusual like there was one guy that was doing a radio show weekly about hair loss and Rogaine and that literally was a show on fan talk live it wasn't very interesting but it was a program there and I had a show called the big finale some of you may remember that and that ran for probably a year or two on fan talk live if I'm remembering correctly um, Fan Talk Live kind of went away after a while, and um, I met someone named Rick Hendrickson, who became my producer, and Rick had ties to some radio stations and also uh, Sirius XM, but he was doing podcasting at the time, and I started a podcast, and I called it The Bruce Collins Show, and ultimately from there, we went into doing a a website called uh, Fringe Radio Network, and that still exists. I don't have anything to do with that now, but I do notice that it still exists. It's still out there, and I believe uh, Johnny McMahon has something to do with that. Um, but so I, I did this podcast, and then after a while, um, Rick Hendrickson was able to help me get on the air on the radio. Um, I had the Bruce Collins show on three different AM radio stations at different times. One of them was WSMN, 1590 AM in Nashua, New Hampshire. Another was WWZN, 1510 AM in Boston, Massachusetts. That one actually was a very powerful station. Um, and then we were on WWPR, 1490 AM in the Tampa Bay, Bradenton, Florida area. Um, my co-host was Chad Miles. Uh, hopefully we'll have him back in the future and you can learn more about him. He was a former candidate for a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives on, in Michigan's 14th Congressional District. And uh, for those of you who know, he has a very good sense of humor. And we had a, a great time over the course of 11 years, from 2005 to 2016. We, my co-host, speaking of Chad Miles, he appeared on the nationally syndicated Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie to represent the Bruce Collins show and talk about drones over Miami. Based on his AM radio exposure, I was approached by the History Channel's Decoded TV with best-selling author Brad Meltzer in 2009 to audition for their program. I didn't go through with it. I didn't actually go down to Southern California. I talked with some of my guests 
who frequented the History Channel, and they told me that um, the History Channel is notorious for not paying a lot of money for some of these uh, gigs, these jobs. And there was no, at the time when I was offered this, there was no guarantee that they were going to go further than a pilot. But if memory serves me right, Dakota TV did last for two seasons. So it is what it is. I still have a nine to five job and I'm happy about that. I like consistency. Um, we, we, we had a lot of different types of shows at the time. We focused on sometimes fringe topics like paranormal, conspiracy, supernatural, UFOs, obviously Christianity. And we took a, a look at some of these different topics and said, do they relate to Christianity? Do they relate to the Bible? Does the Bible have an explanation for these kinds of topics, these kinds of events that happen that make people confused about what's going on in the world? We had a lot of great past guests. They included Jesse Ventura, who appeared on the show twice, Kevin Trudeau, who ended up in prison. Sorry. Uh, Alex Jones, who's just about bankrupt. Uh, sorry for that also. Uh, boy, do you detect a trend of maybe this this radio show doesn't give people a great uh, future? Uh, hope that's no indication of how future guests will uh, appear with trepidation. We also interviewed people like Gerald Salente. I always enjoyed Gerald, Gerald Salente. He gets so worked up over his material. Larry Pratt of Gun Owners of America. We interviewed musicians and singers like Striper's Michael Sweet. Uh, Megadeth's bassist Dave Ellison was on this program. Another guy, Nick Redfern. I like Nick Redfern's books. I don't agree with a lot of his conclusions, although he doesn't take a hard stance on a lot of the positions that he gathers. A lot of the the speculation in his books, he leaves it at that as speculation. But I really enjoy a conversation with Nick Redfern. We also interviewed Coast to Coast AM's John B. Wells, who now has his own podcast for many years called Caravan to Midnight. Uh, we interviewed wrestlers. We interviewed a wrestling legend, Ivan Koloff, who at the time was a evangelist, and he has since passed away. Um, Jake the Snake Roberts, I interviewed him twice. Women's wrestler, Gail Kim, and current WWE wrestler, uh, Drew McIntyre. And we also um, interviewed current AEW wrestler, Samoa Joe. Now, back in the I think in 2010, 2011, there was a movie called Machine Gun Preacher. We interviewed Sam Childers. That movie is based on his life. We interviewed Jerome Corsi. Many of you probably know who Jerome Corsi is. And we interviewed sports athletes like former Major League Baseball player John Rocker, who's controversial notwithstanding, and former NFL player Brian Kinchin, and many, many, many others. We also had another co-host, a, a vocal talent known as Gabe Reed. Again, I hope Gabe Reed can come back to the program. He appeared on the Bruce Collins show regularly as multiple characters. Uh, you may have remembered these, Colin S. Collins, Jekyllberry DuPont Sr., and others. And during that time, I was the guest on Steve Bonnenberger's nationally syndicated radio show, to talk about how I became uh, a 
radio host on multiple AM radio stations. And we were, the Bruce Collins Show was also credited at the end of the documentary, Predictive Programming and Human Microchipping Agenda in the rolling credits. And the rolling credits actually read the following radio and TV shows who have promoted our movement, the Bruce Collins Show. So we had a lot of uh, great publicity from the program. We had a lot of people contacting us and letting us know they were listening, and we appreciated each and every one of them. During those 11 years, I had a lot of difficulties. I had Wi-Fi problems. And uh, it was only after, ironically, after the show was over from 11 years that I switched internet providers and found out that Wi-Fi is much better without uh, the Wi-Fi I was using. In fact, I would often interview a guest and they would start talking and they would uh, disappear and come back. And sometimes I had to edit, go back and edit those programs in a way that made them uh, appear like they were completing a full sentence and not talking randomly gibberish. And that was, that was nerve wracking. I mean, it's nerve wracking to sit there live and record some famous person and have them basically talking and then uh, fading out, and then you're worried that they may never come back. And if that happens 20 times in an interview, uh, you start losing your hair from the top of your head, or at least I did. Uh, we also had uh, – th the show was quite guest-centric at the time, and so I was getting up at times at 2 a.m. to interview people in London – and I was getting up uh, at 6 a.m. before working a full shift at my job to interview uh, random people. Like I remember one time I got up at 6 a.m., maybe 5.30 a.m. to interview Michael Sweet from Striper and, uh, and hoping that my Internet would work, my Wi-Fi would work, and my laptop would work. And there were times when... You know how when you power off your laptop and you have a uh, you have a uh, an update and it starts to update and you don't think about the fact that when you power it back up you, that update continues and so you power down and you start to power back up about 20 minutes before doing an interview and you you have an update and a bad Wi-Fi so the update takes forever and it up it finishes right as you have to call the guest and that happened many times and that is not a fun uh fun situation to be in and there was tons of editing i had to do at the time i really like the fact that on blog talk radio we can do a live show and i don't have to worry about editing the program that uh really that really sits well with me um and we are going to have guests on this program, but maybe not always, and may, they may not be the same level that we've had in the past, because obviously, when I was on AM radio, I had all sorts of agents looking for me and feeding me guests, wanting them to be on AM radio, and obviously, they get paid from these guests, these agents do, to get them on different AM radio stations, so 
blog talk radio is obviously a step. Uh, I don't want to say it's a step down, but it's, it's definitely a step sideways and downish, but uh, it's not, it's probably not going to generate, you know, say a politician or something like that. We can try certainly. And I do want to hear from people if they have any guests that they want, you know, that they want us to interview, but um, we may have uh, a change in guests, but I can get creative around that too, because there's a lot of up and coming authors that yet have not been uh, heard. And there's a lot of guests that I used to have that don't care if they're on AM radio or they're on blog talk radio. It's, it's all good to them. Why the show ended in 2016 is that I basically was burned out. I was working 40 hour weeks. I was doing uh, uh, editing on the program. I was editing the intros, the outros. I was even editing some of the guests gaffes. I had two guests that were twin brothers that would say, mm and ah, every three seconds, literally, that's not, that's not a stretch of the imagination. And I had to go through a 20 minute interview using Sony SoundForge uh, editing software and take out all those gaps so that they could feel comfortable, you know, being interviewed on the program. And it just, it took forever. And then the other thing is if you're on a regular schedule, weekly schedule where you feel, you know, the AM radio station has to have a program you have to keep lining up guests. So I would do like a month or two ahead and I would keep uh, finding new guests, you know, feed me more guests and I would just go through it. And it was like, I never stopped to breathe. And it was literally a second job that I was making no money at and it, and the enjoyment left. And um, like I said, I felt burned out. And I stopped. I In August of 2016, I stopped doing the radio. That was six years ago now. And there were a couple of years that I thought about coming back. But a lot of things happened between those six years. My producer, Rick Hendrickson, passed away suddenly, surprisingly. And at the time, I had a, a microphone, a mixer. I had all of that equipment. He had showed me how to set it all up. I was very low tech. And when he passed away, the, the equipment had been sitting there. When I tried to go back into radio, I couldn't get it to work. I threw it all away, and I decided I was never doing this again. But I always felt kind of that that was something I wanted to do. It's in me. It's a... It's something that drives me. It's a passion. I love it more than any other type of medium. I've tried writing before. I've written, you know, three books on Amazon, but nothing is as exciting to me as doing an interview or doing a radio show and particularly live. There's a lot of uh, anticipation before the, the clock ticks down and it's time to go. But then once it starts, it's, it's a lot of uh, fun and a, a great ride. During that time, I, I did the big finale and then we went on to the Bruce Collins show. Uh, we also did a, a program, some of you may remember or probably do not, 
um, tonight. I imagine most of you may be coming across this program for the very first time. So, But we did a program called Revolving Door that was four different hosts at, at different times. And once a week or once a month, there was – how do I say this? There were four different hosts. Each host had a week in the month that they would do a program. That's why it was called Revolving Door because the four hosts would revolve. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, but it, again, it was a lot of work too. Um, but I, I do want to say that I don't regret any of that, the professional wrestling, the being the guest on Monster Radio, writing the book, um, and also doing the radio show because it all led to here. Everything in my life seems to have been falling forward. I've been very fortunate in that regard. Even in uh, my nine to five job, um, I didn't try to advance. It really just came that way. And I'm very thankful for that. I don't give up too easily while well, I did in radio, but um, I, here I am back again. But I'm not doing this for money. I'm not, I'm not doing this for fame. I really genuinely love to do this. Um, there were a lot of guests that have moved on, have passed away is another word for it. One of them that I wanted to mention was Joe Ortiz. There were some things about Joe Ortiz that I disagreed with, but um, he was one of the nicest people and most supportive people I have ever met. He was the first Mexican-American radio host in the United States on AM radio. And he was very supportive of what myself and Chad Miles had, had done on radio. And so I'm very thankful for his support. Uh, Chris Putnam was another name that comes to mind. I disagreed with his book about the, the Pope. Um, he wrote with Tom Horn, but, uh, and I interviewed him and I feel like I asked him a few tough questions that he hadn't been asked anywhere else. And he answered them. So while I disagree with the book, I, I am thankful that he came on the program, probably knowing that he wasn't going to get an easy, uh, interview. Uh, another one that comes to mind and probably nobody remembers this guest was a, a man named Jerry Smith. And he was one of my early guests, and he wrote a book about the Spear of Destiny, which was supposedly the spear that pierced Jesus' side. And there's a whole mythos around that, um, supposedly what happened to it years after that event. And Jerry Smith passed away, and for some reason he comes to mind too. The program that, as I said earlier, that, that we did wasn't just me. It was with three other gentlemen who played a really critical role in the program. And I'm very thankful for them. One of them was Chad Miles, Gabe Reed, and Christopher Cartwright kind of came on at the very end. And Christopher and Gabe were very good at doing impersonations and different voices that added a comical element to the show. And hopefully we can do that again with them. Uh, we're at the bottom of the hour. I've got about 30 minutes to go, so I'm going to take a quick break right now, and I will be back after this uh, middle 
what what should I say? Middle uh, part of the show. Don't go away. the Bruce Collins show. Thank you for listening tonight. I forgot to mention, um, can anybody hear me? I hope I haven't gone a half an hour without any audio going through the website, but uh, hopefully you can. Uh, If you can't, raise your hand. And if you would like to call in as a guest, you can call 516-387-1742 and I'd be happy to talk to you if we have time. We have a couple things that I wanted to do in the last half hour, and one of them is to introduce a segment called the Top Ten. And the Top Ten for tonight, and we may not always use this um, method if we have guests and et cetera, but uh, it's very interesting. I've rounded up some ten facts about food. That's ten facts about food tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Number 10, tamales are an ancient dish dating back at least 5,000 years in Mesoamerica. The word tamale is derived from the Aztec word tamale. Well, it's a different spelling, T-A-M-A-L-L-I, tamale. Okay, now we're, we're at number nine. Haggis may look like a slightly exotic hot pocket, 
but the Scottish fare is very different. It consists of a sheep's internal organs, onions, oatmeal, and various spices all packed inside a sheep's stomach. Mm-mm. Sounds delicious. Number eight, in 1767, English chemist Joseph Priestley invented the process of carbonating water. That's interesting. From there, others added to the discovery until they arrived at the soda and beer of today. Number seven, the mystery meat spam is made in the heartland of the Midwest in Austin, Minnesota, but it's most popular in island locales. Spam is so popular in Hawaii It's served at McDonald's. Now you can go into work on Monday and tell your friends about spam. Number six, iced coffee is a coffee drink served on ice, but it shouldn't be confused with cold brew coffee, which is the process of steeping coffee grounds in cold water. That makes sense. All right, number five, McDonald's is the top fast food chain in the world in many locations, but the Yum! brands which include KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut, take in more revenue collectively. Things you would not know if you didn't listen to the Bruce Collins show. Number four, kangaroo is the choice meat among some indigenous peoples in Australia. Some Australian companies will even ship kangaroo meat around the world, but not to the state of California. So I'm out of luck. Just what I wanted, kangaroo meat for Christmas. Or maybe Thanksgiving. By the way, Thanksgiving is coming up really fast. Don't forget to get your turkey or some facsimile of that. Number three, North Americans call them French fries or fries, while the British call them chips. Most English speakers call a biscuit product biscuits, but Americans call them cookies. So the next time you're talking to someone from England or Scotland or Ireland, and they talk about biscuits, they may be talking about your cookies. Where are we? Oh, yeah, number two. Number two, South Korean company Hit Jinru is the top-selling spirit brand in the world. It produces beer and wine, but its signature – oh, that's not the number two. Oops, that was a – can we go back and edit that? Oh, no, this is live. That was not number two. Number two is this one. Uh, Lutefisk is a dried whitefish that is pickled in lye that was once quite popular in Scandinavia. It's known for its foul odor, gooey texture and consistency, and bland taste. Boy, that sounds like a real sales point right there to get some Lutefisk and just go to town uh, since it has a foul odor, gooey texture, and bland taste. I wonder why it's a delicacy there, if that's the case. Number one, we've made it to number one, ladies and gentlemen. Number one is most of the English-speaking world calls public drinking fountains drinking fountains. Wow. Okay, let me read that again because that doesn't sound right. Okay, most of the English-speaking world calls public drinking fountains drinking fountains or water fountains. That, That makes sense. That's what I call them, drinking fountains, water fountains. But in southern Wisconsin, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, they're known as bubblers. I did not know that. Uh, Is there anyone from southern Wisconsin, Massachusetts, or Rhode Island that can call in and confirm that you drink from a bubbler? Or Or is that too late at night for you? 
because here it's almost uh, 740 and so you're probably asleep by now. Or if you're not asleep, listening to this show would have put you in sleep. But anyways, that's number one. So when you're drinking from the public drinking fountain, just remember, depending on where you live, you may be drinking from a bubbler. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're moving on to some of the most important news stories of the week. And here we go. Now, you may have heard of this one because I actually did read this on the Fox News website, which is bizarre. Yeah, That reminds me, and I should bring this up. Have you ever noticed on some of these mainstream news sites like Fox News or CNN that sometimes they post some really strange stories? And I know getting back to wrestling, it's weird because Fox News will often put a wrestling story on their news website and pretty high up on the page, which is kind of strange to me. I mean, I know they have a deal with uh, WWE because SmackDown airs on Fox Network. So that's probably why they're promoting it through Fox News, but it doesn't really seem like a news item to me per se. Anyway, here's what I saw on Fox News. Amu Haji, and if I'm mispronouncing his name, I apologize. Amu Haji, 94 years of age, of Dezga, Iran, also known as the world's dirtiest man. Now, first of all, I have a question. How, how is he known as that? I mean, is there a national uh, registry or an international registry of dirty people, and he somehow has made the top one? Uh, that I don't know how... Who knows him as the world's dirtiest man? Is that a Guinness Book of World Records feat? But anyway, Fox News said it, so it's got to be true. Amu Haji, 94, of Dezga, Iran, also known as the world's dirtiest man, refused to bathe for more than 60 years because he was afraid doing so would make him sick, Fox News reported. Uh, That in and of itself is a story. But then it goes on. Apparently, he was right. For the first time, villagers had recently taken him to a bathroom to wash. The Islamic Republic News Agency reported. Ah, so Fox News is getting their news from the Islamic Republic News Agency. So I'm not sure how credible all of this is, but uh, perhaps Iran is feeding us some phony information so that Fox News will look bad. Just a thought. But uh, let's return to this article here. Apparently, he was right. For the first time, villagers had recently taken him to a bathroom to wash, the Islamic Republic News Agency reported. Now, it doesn't say that they took him by force or they coerced him somehow, uh, and I'm not sure how they would coerce him. Hey, buddy, uh, we got this water over here. You want to stand under it? Uh, not, and then it says, the report says, not long after he felt ill and finally he gave up his life. The report went on. Haji had no family, but villagers had built him a cinder block dwelling for shelter on the outskirts of town. I don't know how that's relevant to the taking the bath. But anyways, Fox News would have us somewhat believe that the world's dirtiest man, again, we don't know how he has this distinction, or if there's a certificate on his cinder block house that distinguishes him as the world's dirtiest man. We don't know how that is has uh, taken place. But apparently the world's dirtiest man was, the city was uh, so 
disgusted by the odorousness of their man who had the moniker of the world's dirtiest man, that they somehow took him to take a bath and wash him, and he passed away. And he was also under the belief that if he took a bath, he would pass away. Uh, maybe this should be on Coast to Coast AM and not Fox News. But uh, I think a big part of this is that he was 94 years old. But uh, anyway, maybe the shock of the water. It doesn't say what the temperature of the water was. But what do you think? Do you think he died from cleanliness? I don't know. <laughs> it's an odd story. Here's another one. Speaking of odd, we have just a plethora of odd articles and stories because, you know, there's a lot of people in the world and they're doing a lot of odd things like a podcast. Uh, Ranjita Kundu of Kota Meta, India, has accused her husband of stealing and selling one of her kidneys four years ago. Hmm. That's an awkward marriage, isn't it? Uh, honey, I think you stole my kidneys. Uh, Oddity Central reported. Again, another credible news story from Oddity Central, whatever that is. Kundu recently discovered after visiting the doctor that she has only one kidney. Surprise, surprise. She believes that when she was treated for kidney stones four years ago, her husband secretly arranged for one of her kidneys to be removed and sold on the black market. I was unaware of the whole incident, she said. She even knows who he sold it to, Asim Haldar. Boy, that, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen if that guy's innocent. You don't accuse, I know who you, my ex-husband sold my kidney to. Okay, Asim Haldar, who also lives in her district. And how did she know it was him? He has three kidneys now. No, I don't know. Kundu and her husband were married for 12 years before he took off with another woman eight months ago. If I was that lady, I'd be concerned about my kidneys. Uh, Kundu said with help from his sister, he sold the organ to make up for dowry money he believed he was owed. Police have taken him into custody and are investigating. I would love to know how that investigation would go. Perhaps that will turn up on court TV. Does court TV still exist? I don't get it on my cable uh, station, so I don't know if it actually does, but uh, it sounds interesting. Uh, interesting case and an interesting uh, investigation. If I was a detective, I would probably appoint Lynn Marzulli to investigate that. Kint Clinics in Amsterdam, which treats anxiety, phobias, and PTSDs, which of course are uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, posted a job po opening for someone who is able to vomit at will. NL Times reported on September 4th, the person who fills the part-time position will help patients who have a fear of vomiting, replacing a previous employer who, employee who retired. He was so good at his job, but... Uh, you know, he was 65, so. Psychologist, and I don't even think I can pronounce this person's name because they're from Amsterdam. But anyways, this psychologist who posted the position said the response has been overwhelming. Didn't know people in your neighborhood had so many skills. There are many more applications than expected. Our new transmitter is certainly among them. I don't know what that means. Our new transmitter is certainly among them. One hopeful applicant gushed, 
Now I can finally share my art, Vomit on Command. That is definitely something you need to put at the top of your resume because you never know. Uh, I knew a, there. many of you probably know there was a wrestler who could do that many years ago. Unfortunately, he had an accident in the ring, but uh, he was able to do that at will, uh, projectiles and all. So how does this person actually do this? So if they're able to heave at will and they're helping patients who have a fear of that, is it that they make them so sick because they did this in front of them that then they have to do it? How does that, how does that work? I mean, how do you encourage somebody else by actually doing that? Uh, and we'll move on because that's, you know, a little bit, uh, not too healthy to think about. I might get sick. Here's another one. A pair of Levi's jeans found in an abandoned mine in the American West sold for a staggering $87,400 at a New Mexico auction on October 1st, reported CNN.com, another credible news source. What was so special about the jeans? They dated back to the 1880s. And while it's not uncommon for denim archaeologists, is this a job? denim archaeologists to find genes that could use a bit of reinforcement. Otherwise they're super duper. Oh, I missed a line right there. Denim archaeologists to find genes from that period of history. It's incredible, incredibly rare to find them so well preserved. Uh, And then this person, Zip Stevenson, which has to be a real name. Zip Stevenson said, there's a couple of soft spots on the genes that could use a bit of reinforcement. But otherwise, they're super-duper solid genes. That's a technical term, super-duper, in the denim archaeology business. Uh, Zip Stevenson, who runs a denim repair shop in Los Angeles, and he placed the winning bid with a partner. Uh, Though Stevenson would prefer the genes were purchased and put on display in a museum, who wouldn't? He said he would consider selling them to a private buyer. Of course he would. I could easily imagine Johnny Depp or Jason Momoa wearing them, Stevenson said, uh, which begs the question, would you buy a pair of jeans from the 1800s for $87,000 that were found in a mine? Uh, I think I would go to the store and just get, I mean, granted, prices today are quite high. Inflation is quite high thanks to our current administration, but uh I'm not sure you can justify a pair of jeans for $87,000. And here's another story. A municipal judge in Cleveland, Ohio, was ordered to be removed from the bench on indefinite suspension on October 18th and will undergo evaluations for her physical and mental health. After a long series of bizarre incidents and behavior, the Columbus Dispatch reported. Another fine newspaper, the Columbus Dispatch. The Ohio Supreme Court took action after Judge Pinky S. Carr. Pinky. Judge Pinky. That's an odd. Pinky S. Carr wore sneakers, spandex shorts, T-shirts, and even tank tops while sitting at the bench, a bench that had become littered with so many cups, dolls, and novelty items that Carr's own attorney described it as resembling a flea market. The 58-page complaint filed by the Ohio Supreme Court states that, among many other incidents, Carr repeatedly discussed the television show P. 
Valley. I don't even know what that is. And joked about giving lenient sentences and accepting kickbacks with attorneys and defendants while court was in session. Probably not a good idea. Unless you're guilty of a crime, then you would want Judge Pinky. When a prosecuting attorney had not yet arrived for a hearing, Carr is quoted as having stated, the prosecutor's not here. Let's see how much we can get away with. A temporary replacement for Carr will be appointed by Governor Mike DeWine and will sit at the bench until voters elect a new judge in a future election. I have no joke for this story, just one thing to say. Judge Pinky. And finally, in the news, there's a new book for preteens, preteens that explores Bigfoot through a scientific lens. Laura Krantz's new children's book, The Search for Sasquatch, because we knew that would end up being a children's book, right? Krantz hopes to model how to balance curiosity and exploration with staying grounded in the facts, in the facts that there's no facts about Bigfoot, I guess. Uh, The book is directed at kids ages 8 to 12, which is also bizarre. Because there's nothing scary like because there's nothing like scary little children with scientific books about hairy monsters that breathe heavy, live in the forest, and make unintelligible sounds. Sort of like John Fetterman, right? Uh, here's part of the interview that she did with NPR. Uh, the, the interviewer said, tell us about the nests. And Krantz said, oh, the nests are weird. So I was invited to come take a look at these Bigfoot nests that had been found on private timberland in the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. And they were essentially huge ground nests. They were like birds' nests that were 10 feet across that were big enough you could lay down in. Uh, I'm, uh, if I was the interviewer, I'd be tempted to ask, and did you lay down in the big bird nest? Uh, and then Krantz goes on. And, of course, we don't know who what built them. And there are people who are pretty sure that Bigfoot might have built them, which might sound weird, except that gorillas also build nests in Africa, of course, not in Washington State. And she goes on. But it does raise a lot of questions. And when I saw them, I was kind of like, these are really strange. Like, what built these? And that adds to the mystery of it. And, you know, there's all kinds of exploration into what's happening here. There's some DNA analysis, which I get into in the book, uh, because, you know, kids ages 8 to 12 should know about DNA analysis into Bigfoot, of course. And she goes on. And this is one of these little tidbits that sort of keeps cropping up in the world of Bigfoot that kind of makes you wonder, well, maybe. So this sounds like she takes the position that Bigfoot is real, doesn't it? And so what about the part... uh, of the book that they claimed was being grounded. I mean, it sounds like she's a sold believer in this theory of hers. And it it sounds like just more indoctrination of little kids to me. And it's no wonder that this was an NPR interview, is it? Um, NPR leans to the left, obviously, and that's an understatement. Um, So these were the news articles of the week, and I hope you enjoyed them. Wow, the time has gone by. We've only got about four minutes. I just want to thank you for listening um, today to this program. I was going to update you on some more guests, but we actually don't have time. Um, But I I do appreciate any of and all of you who listened live or 
Um, we'll listen to the broadcast later. Thank you so much. And thank you for those of you on Facebook that went to the Bruce Collins show and uh, expressed some happiness over the fact that I was going to try this again. Um, I, I want to thank you. And uh, we will be inviting guests in the future, as I said before, and I hope to bring Chad Miles and Gabe Reed and Christopher Cartwright back also. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. And uh, this has been the Bruce Collins Show. I don't know when we'll be back, when the exact date is. I don't want to make it a weekly thing um, automatically because I don't want to feel like I'm tied to this microphone all the time or that I have to make commitments. But we will give uh, on the Facebook page or on Blog Talk Radio when the next show will be coming up. I'll be talking to some people about coming on as guests. If you have any ideas of who you would like to um, have as a guest, please join the group at the Bruce Collins Show on Facebook and let me know there who you would like to hear me interview. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we're going to go out with uh, a little Star Trek and a little outro music. Again, thank you for joining us this week. Hope to talk to you real soon. Hello, this is Captain Picard of the USS Enterprise. When I'm not battling the Borg, I transport myself to the Bruce Collins Show with the Baron of Broadcasting Bruce Collins and Chad Captain Doomsday Myers. So do travel over at warp speed. Love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get a hundred dollars back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting one hundred dollars back and one hundred percent accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 